All right. Well, thank you for being here. I hate to speak to an empty room. <laughs> I'm going to be doing something a little different tonight than I normally do. I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm just a teacher, and so normally when I get up here, I just teach, and it's mostly Bible, scriptural, but tonight I'm going to do something different. I'm actually going to tell you a story, and it's kind of like a parable, and I, I wrote it this morning. I had studied all week for my message, and I got in the shower this morning, and the Lord changed everything. So the rest of the afternoon, I spent just rewriting this, and so it may be a little rough around the edges, but I think it's, you'll have fun with it. It's, 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 um, it's a little more descriptive than just teaching didactically through the Scripture. So let me see if I can do this, and you can pray for me, okay? It's gonna, it's, I think it's interesting. Can we turn that light off? It's right in my eyes. <laughs> Thank you very much. So this is a story about a man, and um, he'd been feeling bad for some time, and so he went to his doctor to see what was wrong. There's no punchline. This is not funny. Something develops from this. And so his doctor asked him, he says, well, he says, well, good morning. What seems to be your problem? And the man said, well, doctor, I've just not been myself lately. Um, over the past months, I've been losing ground on my health, and I've been feeling basically lethargic, unmotivated. I think I might even be depressed somewhat. It's, um, but it's more than that. I think I've been having this feeling of heaviness and negativity and uh, hopelessness from time to time. And says, nothing seems to really get me excited anymore. I'm finding myself isolating myself from people. In fact, he said, people really bother me. Anymore, they just bug me. And I don't even want to be around them. I find myself isolating from them and, and they just sound critical and judgmental and, and I'm finding myself becoming that same kind of person. And this has really bothered me and he says, um, as a result, I find myself pulling away from people. In fact, I'm isolating so myself so much that I find that I, most of my, my relationships are becoming superficial, just casual, just conversational, even, he says, even my family, my friends, even my people at church, I'm feeling this way with. And so I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling like something's wrong in my life. He says, so, doctor, can you tell me what's wrong with me? And so the doctor says, well, let me check my clinical diagnosis textbook. So he pulls out his book on clinical diagnoses. And he starts looking down through the symptoms. And as he looks down through the symptoms, he tells the man, well, yep, here it is. And it looks like this problem's been around for a long time. Uh, in fact, there's several references here from people throughout the years that have written um, their notes on treatment for different people. And he says, in fact, they, it's been around for a long time. One of the earliest references, and really the most notable, it was a Jewish physician around the year 33 A.D. And uh, I'm, but I'm afraid that you've um, you've come in contact with an infectious social disease that is highly contagious. This uh, first-century physician that he said I just noted here says that in, the, in these last days it will in fact become epidemic. 
this thing that you have. Interesting, he says, here's his notes, and let's, let me just read this to you because he said it's interesting what he wrote about this. He said, there will be such an increase in sin and lawlessness in those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. And it seems, as I read further, the prognosis is that if it's left untreated, it will be eventually becoming life-threatening. He says, that's very serious indeed. He says, hold on there, but here's some good news. As I read further, there's apparently a remedy for this heart disease, and I'm, but I'm afraid it's not a quick fix. The treatment seems to be highly effective, and it works nearly all the time, but it's rather long-term. And because this particular physician that we referenced said, he said this in his notes, you must keep your hope to the end. And apparently, if you do so, you will experience something he calls life and deliverance if you keep your hope to the end. And you'll overcome this malady that's falling on the world and you'll be different from them. So he says, let me, let me read on and see how this treatment works because obviously there's something we can do here. He says, um, hmm, here we go. And he read on. He says, well, evidently there was a clinical study group of people in the early days who dealt with this same problem. And they were called Bereans. Is that right? Bereans. And they were evidently people of noble character and more open-minded than their neighbors because it says here that they were hungry to learn and eagerly receive the word. It says here that every day they opened the ancient scrolls to search and examine them, and it seems to have worked in their culture. Something was happening different from them than all the people around them. Uh, but it seems that the treatment wasn't just topical. A quick one-time application of the ancient scrolls didn't seem to heal this sickness. It appears they had to take it internally. Isn't that interesting? He says, now, if this note is right, then their protocol for taking this medication internally involved a really focused daily treatment of the word. Hmm, now, he says, wait a minute. Now, here's another mention from another physician named Paul. Let's see. It sounds like he took this treatment to another level altogether. In fact, he built on this whole understanding, and in his writings, he makes mention of this treatment to some people called Roman believers. And strangely enough, he told them to do two things. He said, first, they needed to stop allowing themselves to be continually infected with a social influenza. And second, he said, instead of being subjected to that in the culture, that they should be changed from the inside out by renewing their minds. That's similar to what the Bereans were practicing, it sounded like. So according, he says, but according to my Greek here, it's a kind of a transformation that actually took place when they did that, it seems. He said, interesting. Hold on here. He's, he, wait a minute. There's two more notes here that I need to read. Just a second. So he said, there's, and both of these are men who are still living. They're contemporaries to us. He said, one of them wrote this. God doesn't want us to know truth in our head. He wants us to know the truth in our heart and have it revealed in a way that we see and think 
and speak and act differently. But he says in order to cultivate this truth, we have to stop taking our cures from the world around us. He said the cures the world has for this problem will not address it. They're topical. They're, they're, they're superficial and they don't work in the long term. This has to be taken internally, this, this medication, this, this treatment. And we have to do what he calls cultivate the truth. He said, I wonder what that means. Let me read on. So here's another. He said, here's another contemporary person. This man is evidently an international speaker. And he has, had commented about this, and it's in the journal here, so it must, it must be part of the treatment protocol. He says, here, the kingdom you believe you have within you will be the kingdom you reproduce around you. Hmm. He says, therefore, what you believe about yourself will determine how you behave. When you get your inside world in line with the kingdom of God, you will live out your true identity in him. And this begins with how you think about and talk to yourself. And it will change your life. So wait a minute. He said, there's this treatment and it involves some rethinking, some reprogramming at an internal deep level. But it seems to be highly effective. Hmm. And he says, he, this particular man, and to making his point, he quotes that first century physician, again, in some book entitled Matthew. Is that right? And he says, I don't know. Here's what it says. He who has ears to hear, let him be listening. And let him consider and perceive and comprehend by hearing. Oh, I see. He said the treatment involves actually consuming and digesting these words in order to understand them internally at a heart level. And this internal assimilation, this digesting of this word, the process seems to produce an effect on the body and the mind. It's physical and emotional and spiritual. It really does change the effect of this dullness of heart. Wait, here's another contemporary reference, he says. And this man uh, gives us even more information. Apparently, according to this expert, kingdom thought breeds kingdom revelation. Now, it's interesting. He said, he says, he didn't say kingdom thoughts. He said kingdom thought. In other words, kingdom thinking. He's talking about a way of considering and comprehending the word that produces kingdom understanding. And then the kingdom understanding evidently produces kingdom living. So he said there's something to this. Let me keep reading because there's, there's, there's some more lines here. Let's read a bit further and see if we have any instructions on actually how to administer this treatment. He says, mm, protocols, protocols. Here we go. Here's another physician. She's actually a follower of that first century physician. And this is interesting. She's actually an expert on how the human brain works. She's apparently done clinical studies for years and years, decades, on the effectiveness of learning, of taking information and processing it into something that has substance. And she approaches learning from a clinical perspective. 
This would be interesting, very practical. He says, I think. He says, according to this expert in learning, actually reading the information is not the problem. Rather, she says this, the problem with gathering information is that it is not managed well. So the problem is not in gathering information, it's just because lots of people gather information. What they do with it, they don't handle it well and manage it well and let it produce something in their lives that is beneficial. That sounds like the difference, he said, between the understanding of the head and the heart, doesn't it? A little bit. Let's read on and see if she gives us any help on how to do this. There's any practical steps that might help in, in working this process of getting this information that we think is good into our hearts. And she says that in order to get it from the head to the heart, it has to be translated in a way that brings understanding. It's a marriage of both the intellectual and the spiritual understanding working together. So according to her, evidently, God helps us in our understanding as we process this information. Isn't that interesting? So what is her answer to how we manage the word in such a way that it becomes part of our heart, soul, and life? You had those questions yourself? This little fantasy story, this little thing is just a development of a thought. What if reading the Bible wasn't enough? What if reading the words didn't really change our lives? Well, we'd have to go back and see what's wrong with that process, and maybe we need to learn how to read those words with more meaning and understanding. Are you with me? So this doctor, is Dr. Carolyn Lee, wrote this steps, and I'm going to give you just a few of them because it's quite lengthy, but I just put it into just a little summary. And I want to give you some help on how to read the word to get it down in your heart because this is the thing that will sustain you and keep you from that place of dullness. And in the end, it will bring you hope that brings life and deliverance. You believe that? You will when you read that with understanding. So let me go through a few steps with you. These will be simple. And I know this is um, a, a, just a study form, but it is very helpful. I've tried it myself, and it works really well. All of these things she's teaching here were developed from clinical studies over years with hundreds and hundreds of people. In South Africa alone, she did this for over 20 years with impoverished, uneducated people who flourished in this learning experience. Is that helpful? So let's just look at it. First she says, Dr. Leaf says this, you have to start with the right attitude in your heart. If you try to read the material with bitterness or unforgiveness or anger, anything that's not, that, that barricades your heart from the truth, you need to stop and check your heart and get that squared away. Does that make sense? Do this. Okay. And she says, check your heart before you begin. Second, her research reveals this. You actually need to monitor your input. And by that, she, she says, so what I read and listen to and watch makes a difference. What I take in makes a difference. If it's negative, it will produce negativity. It's, if it's evil and dark, it will produce that in my life. But if it's life-giving and good, it will produce that same effect in my life. Are you with me on that? She said, um, 
strangely enough, one way I can do this, this is a very practical thing. I need to read the words with an instrument that guides my eyes while I'm reading. Did you know that when you read a line of words, that if you'll follow along that line with a pencil or with your finger, that your reading comprehension increases by 50%? That's substantial. So she says, don't use a ruler because there's information on the ruler and your mind will try to interpret that information as you read. Use a finger or a pencil and follow the line. And as you follow the line, you're using both sides of your brain. Left brain and right brain simultaneously increase your comprehension by 50%. Is that helpful? So practice that this week. I've got my men's group. They have homework. Don't they, Chris? I gave them homework this week to go try these things and come back next week and tell me how this helped them in reading either a, a book or scripture, or listening to something and taking notes. Let me give you some more hints here. She said, and to make this more effective yet, the more of your senses that you engage, the greater your comprehension, the greater your focus, the greater your understanding. So she says, if you're going to be reading and follow along the line, just go ahead and read out loud. If you can, if you're in a place where you can, read out loud, and it engages your hearing and your vision at the same time. So there's two senses there instead of one. So you're following along, left brain, right brain. You're reading out loud so that your eyes and your ears are involved and you're becoming more focused, substantially more focused. And then she tells us, <clears throat> read only a chunk of information at a time. What did we determine a chunk was, Chris? Two or three sentences. She says, if you read more than that, you won't get it. Go back and read three lines and see if you've got that much first. And how do we know if we read those three lines, if we understand them? Well, she tells us further. This is very helpful. She says, begin to listen carefully. You're reading out loud, right? Listen to yourself. Now, she said, imagine you're having a conversation with the author of the words and begin to dialogue what it means began to paraphrase out loud, began to ask questions, began to answer those questions. And at this point, I would say, this is where we engage and we ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us in this dialogue, to bring emphasis and highlight and bring revelation. This is a perfect opportunity as we're having this ongoing dialogue to say, Lord, come and be part of this. Does that make sense? You guys believe that kind of stuff happens? Okay, and so we're listening carefully. And she says this, keep a pad and pencil there because you're going to want to write things down that are important. Okay? And so when you write these things down, write down not only words or sentences, but also diagrams and visuals. When I read, I see pictures of things and I draw pictures. And those pictures mean something. It's a concept that I can look at and immediately it reinforces my learning in that moment. You with me? The older I get, the more I have to do this. And she says, keep a pen and paper handy while listening. This keeps your mind not only from wandering, but it actually, in a neurological way, keeps your mind in order. It increases your capacity again with comprehension. Now, there's a warning here. Um, a lot of us, and, and I'm not telling you not to do this, but this, this is not help. There's passive helps and aids, and there's active helps and aids. 
Highlighters and underlining lines are passive, and they do not promote learning. What promotes learning is to circle a word or a concept or a key thought or a theme and just circle it. He says your mind will hone in on that one thing, and when you're done, you can look at the page and you know exactly what's happening on that page by looking at these key words and concepts and ideals. Is this too studious? I think this will help you a lot. Some of the guys in our group are going, wow, I can't wait to try this because I am so stuck. I read the Bible and it's like blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, engage it. Begin to talk through it and do these things and see what happens. These are proven in clinical trials with human beings just like you and me. Some of whom are not believers, but they're learning nonetheless because it's a practicum. Write these things down. Avoid the highlighters and under, underlining. Stay with active notes. Let me try something else here. When you get done and you look at your page, if you have more than 40% of your page marked up with circles and everything, you've got too much. Keep it succinct and keep 15 to 20% of your page with your notes. And that way you'll be, you'll be looking only at key thoughts and concepts and ideals. Then she says, do this, interact with words. This is what I was telling you about a minute ago. If you're interacting, as if you were interacting with whoever wrote the word. In this case, we are. If we're reading scripture, we're having a conversation with the Holy Spirit, who's the author of life. And so we engage him in our conversation. She's begin to paraphrase and discuss with yourself, have an interaction. She said, this interaction alone creates in a neurological sense, long-term memory. Just the dialogue you're having with yourself, much less the spiritual revelation that might come through the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense right there? So ask questions out loud or silently and, and repeat, repeat phrases the speaker is saying. If you, if you see something and you want to get it, repeat it, paraphrase it. Go back and, and practice it out loud. And finally, she says this. Begin to control and discipline your thought life. Now, this is a task because as you move through this, you're going to have a lot of rabbit trails and thoughts that want to go somewhere else. She said the, the trick here is to dismiss those for a later time. If you need to make a note to come back to them, you can do that. But set that aside and stay on point. If you stay with this, you stay with the theme and the thoughts that are coming together, and you seem to come to a place of long-term understanding better. So that's the end of our little story. I just wanted to share with you a learning experience. I wanted to put it in the context of this is something we can do to work out our salvation. This is our part in participating with God to hold to the word and not just I heard someone last week say this, and I, I didn't want to correct them because part of what they were saying was right. But they were trying to share with a, an unbeliever, somebody who was n not necessarily a believer, and they said, well, just begin to confess this. Just say it. Well, that has some value in being able to say right things, but the person didn't own that. They didn't understand the process, and they certainly didn't. They hadn't been able to assimilate it and and include it and adjust it and make it part of who they were. This will help us move through the Word of God in a way that's much more understanding, and long-term, we will remember it. It'll have better retention. 
So if you're a student or a teacher or whoever, and you just want to do this in a way where you come away full of the significance of the Word of God, this will do it. Okay? And if you need notes on this, you want to follow up, I've summarized part of her book. There is so much there that's so beyond us. I mean, she's 40 years as a neuro doctor, whatever that is. What do you call those? It may be. She's not a surgeon, but she studies the brain function. And so she's, and just her terminology will lose you from time to time. But what you can pull out of this and what I'll begin to bring from time to time are things that help us in our pursuit of, of the Word of God. I know I need that help. I'm not that smart, but I know there's things that will help us in learning how to retain this because God's on our side. And he wants us to have this in our hearts so that it's a foundation and an anchor in times of difficulty. There'll be times of testing, have you noticed? And they'll become more frequent and more intense and we want to be firmly grounded in the truth. Am I right? Well, then say amen. All right, I'm finished. <laughs>